You are listening to the podcast for Nerdy Christians, where faith meets fandom. Welcome to the show for progressive followers of Jesus who also happen to love Hogwarts, Hobbits, and banding together with a ragtag group of strangers. This is Season 6, Episode 6, Fictional Found Families. I'm Adam Thomas, and I'm very happy to be sitting across a member of my found family, Carrie Combs. Hey, Carrie. Aww. Well done with the alliteration of our episode title. Oh, you actually wrote that title, so I did, well I did, but um, I have a lisp, so I'm really glad I'm oh, not you doing mean me saying anymore. it out loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry that you. Those, no, we did it in it. one take. Sometimes, Just Terry. Kidding. Yeah, sometimes we we joke that our text chain, that our D and D group with some of our friends, is a text chain that sometimes plays D and D. You know, and I feel like you guys are my family. Uh, you know, yeah, we, we've I, been together a long time now, right? That's right. It happened at clergy conference 2019. <laughs> yeah. Was it 19 was it, or 18? No, I think it was 18. I think it was 18. 18. Yeah. It's Some been five, number of years ago. Five long years ago. Anyway, but we all have families that we're born into and we have families that we choose. And the, the idea of a found family uh, has a lot of resonances, especially with the LGBTQ community, uh, many of mm-hmm. whom um, have been kicked out of their families of origin because of Mm -hmm. their identities. We might touch on that a little bit, but we're talking now a little bit more broadly in this episode around what does it look like to have um, people that feel like family who aren't Mm -hmm. blood related to you? um, And what, what can, what is that? How does that uh, help us become better followers of Jesus um, within the church and in the world? Yeah. And this, this episode's kind of the germ of the idea was, um, the trend I was noticing of grumpy older man accidentally gets a foster daughter with special abilities. So we've got Hopper and Elle and Stranger Things. We've got The Witcher with uh, Siri and Geralt, The Mandalorian with Pedro Pascal as the Mandalorian and Grogu, the little <laughs> baby Yoda. And then again, Pedro Pascal, The Last of Us with um, his you know special foster daughter, Ellie. And I like that trope, uh, but we also, but in looking into it, there are some parental adoptions in the Bible, and those are interesting. And that's what we're we'll we'll get there in a little bit with our scripture quote. But larger than that, the trope of found family is something that we enjoy so much in fiction, and then frankly in real life that we decided to expand it beyond just what I was jokingly calling fictional daddies fantasy Um, daddies yeah (laughs) fantasy daddies basically just any excuse for me to watch pedro pascal being paternal is my favorite there's there's one more um at the very end of the most recent thor movie thor basically adopts a little girl oh yeah some of our favorite fictional properties have this trope of found family. Like you can search books by this, right? Like there's, yeah, sure. well, it's one of the well-known tropes, but the reason that we like it is important. So hopefully as we dive into some of our favorite fictional found families, Ooh, that was four, um, we will be able to learn more about Christian community along the way. Yeah. So what's the scripture quote today, Carrie? Our scripture quotation is from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, and these are some of the last words of Jesus. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. And our quotation from Nerd Canon is short and sweet today. It is from the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie, Yondu, uh, who kidnapped 
the young Peter Quill from Earth back in the 1980s. Um, on behest of Peter's actual father, the planet Ego, it's a very strange movie, uh, says, <laughs> to, says to Peter at one point about Ego, he may have been your father, boy, but he wasn't your daddy. We're all born into a family. We assume that we grow up in that family and we have norms of that family. Um, there's a great scene in the West Wing where I think it's Sam Seaborn says a word and everybody looks at him like, what the heck are you talking about? And he goes, oh, maybe that's a word that only my family says. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, we yeah, have, we have these um the culture of just an individual mm. family can be really strange. Like something that's completely normal for your family might be super weird for my family. Um, and as we grow up, we recognize that family is not just about blood and who you're related to and who you live with, but it's also um, it encompasses everybody you care about deeply and mm -hmm. have some deeper connection to than uh, And, um, and so our families get bigger and bigger as we get older. Uh, and I think that's really healthy because we then are exposed to different viewpoints um, and um, different ways of being loved and loving. Mm -hmm. uh, and in a lot of the media that we consume, we see, um, especially people who do not have good family experiences, finding new families. I think some of the most common formalized ways of having a new family, at least in, in real life, is through marriage. So my my experience of meeting my in-laws and becoming part of this other family, it's a chosen family in that I chose to marry a son of their family um, and realizing, yeah, there's a lot of bizarre quirks. And then having my husband hang out with my family is very, um, it just puts, sheds light on mm -hmm. all the things that you took for granted. Yeah. Yeah. We choose a new family when we get married in a lot of ways. And that's an intentional creation of a new family. A lot of couples, myself included, have conversations about like, how do we want to be as a family versus what we came from, who we came from. Mm -hmm. And that creation of a new culture is something that is explicit, I think, when there's like marriage, but doesn't necessarily happen um, explicitly, you know, verbally through like groups of friends, those kinds of found families develop and they're based on a culture and on a value system, but they're not necessarily as explicit. Like, unfortunately, you can't marry your friends um, as a group. And yet some people with their found families are as close, if not closer than with their families of origin mm -hmm. and really mm -hmm. relying on each other and creating a culture that they get to choose. That's why it's called a found family, a chosen family. I was um, doing something years ago uh, with my dad. It was some sort of presentation. I don't remember even what it was about, but I remember realizing, I remember recognizing a trend in television in the 1980s and 90s. Oh, yeah. Um, where in the 1980s, most sitcoms are based on nuclear families, right? You have uh, Family Ties, you have The Cosby Show, and among many others that are really about a... Um, uh, people who live with their blood family. Mm -hmm. And then in the 1990s, almost every single show is about your found family. Very few are about your actual nuclear family. So you have Friends, you have Seinfeld, I guess that started in the 80s, late 80s, but uh, Friends, Seinfeld, and then just keep going on and you mm -hmm. get 
except for the and then in the 2000s you get some of the the family drama family comedies back but um but in our growing up years carrie oh mm. mine and maybe not yours because i'm a little older than you but i grew up in the 90s um yeah. that was my teenage years uh early or at least my yeah most of my teenage years in the 90s i was inundated by uh, <clears throat> television that was all found family based and not nuclear family based and while I have a very good relationship with my nuclear family, I sometimes wonder what what was I learning and what was I what what was what was culture teaching me about what family is um, because of those shows, you know, like Friends and and it, that that ilk. And I think it is that you have the choice about who you want to spend time with and who you want to let influence you. I'm just curious about sort of what what that said about our of our upbringing that in the 90s there was like this deconstruction of the of the nuclear family on television. Sidebar, the shows I liked the most in the 90s were Home Improvement and Malcolm in the Middle. I guess that was early 2000s. Early those yeah. are nuclear. Home Improvement is is one that bucks the trend though. That's true. That one yeah. was about a nuclear family. Um, yeah. I think it taught us very unrealistic ideas about the ability to be neighbors with your best friends <laughs> in an apartment complex in New York City. Yeah, with very large apartments. Or just the fact that you live near each other. So now we have, I think, a lot of dispersed found families. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly um, one of you know the people that I, I kind of claim as like a family member as, my, as a sister in a lot of ways is my best friend, Kara. We've talked about her a lot on this show. Her father will jokingly call me his German daughter because um, they're very Irish Catholic and I'm in Portuguese and I'm the, the lone blondie at the table. Um, and we we've had to experience like dispersed found family. When I moved abroad for the first time, I gave her a webcam so we could keep in <laughs> touch. This is back before like iPhone Zoom and, and all that stuff. And yeah. Zoom, you know, we Skyped on this crummy webcam every week. Um, and that, you know, having to learn how to keep up. And now, you know, our D&D group is across four time zones, three time zones three. across the, yeah, three. the we continental have, we don't North have, America. We don't have anybody in mountain time yet. So aside from unrealistic expectations about proximity to your found family, um, I learned from those shows in the 90s that uh, just the what you can share with these people is important that you can go deeper in some ways. I'm from, a, you know, I have a pretty good relationship with my family of origin, but we're kind of typical New Englanders. You know, we are nice. We get along. Uh, we don't always go deep. And what I mm. loved about watching Friends and Seinfeld, even like they talk about everything under the sun and that freedom to be themselves, truly themselves, um, because these weren't people who can, even though they've known each other for a long time, and there's always the jokes in Friends about, ha ha ha, Monica used to be fat and now she's thin. And somehow that's like a defining personality trait. They're not basing their impressions of one another on who they were, but rather on who they are. So that's that's kind of our, our experience growing up. And then in more recent media, uh, especially the kind of things we like to talk about on the podcast, we see mm. lots and lots of found families, uh, as well as these um, reluctant dad, <laughs> reluctant dads. There aren't very many reluctant moms on on TV right now, but no. there's a lot of reluctant dads. Um, Marva so, from Andor cheerfully takes on yeah, Cassie she's, and Andor. She is not her. Her husband is like, wait, what are you doing? <laughs> in yep. the flashbacks, um, she's like, we have a son now. Ta-da. I'm curious. We have a list of um, of of uh, things here. Um, 
remind uh, you you have feather families here can you t- mm. tell us what that is again uh, because we've talked about it on the podcast before but it's a bit of a deep cut in the becky chambers wayfarers series there's a fictional alien species called the andrisks called the andrisks who are reptilian and they're not mammals there's a lot of differences just biologically between them and mammals but one of the things that they have are called feather families so they're they have different sort of stages of life they're born into a into a feather family but they're it's not their chosen one they grow up and eventually they leave and start forming their own feather families and the feathers come from when they are choosing one another they give each other a feather off of their heads because they're feathery reptiles yeah and and they're they're the the giving of a of a feather is such a, is incredibly significant symbolic mm-hmm. act within their culture because it means I am now adopting you into my family. Right. And the feather families are some of them, some of the partners are romantic and sexual. Some of them are just very good friends. They and they change and adapt based on life circumstances. And those are the people that they grow and love and are together with. And then as they get older, they might choose to found another type of family that raises children. And we learn in the first book. The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. Sissix, the Andrus pilot of the Wayfarer, she doesn't ha- she's not living on her home planet with a feather family. So when Rosemary, the, the main character, looks up her in the database, because they got to keep track of all these bloodlines, she sees that Sissix has claimed the Wayfarer, the ship, the crew, as her feather family. That's who they are. That's her found family. And they are, you know, colleagues, but they're also friends and eventually lovers, some of them. So, and the way that the book itself is set up is about this, you know, the Rosemary being drawn into this new found family. Yeah. And all of the characters on the Wayfair are part of this family, one or two, a little more reluctantly than the rest, which kind of makes sense. But we see the depth of the relationships that can be achieved when you get to choose them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, you know, my own experience of developing friendships, I have to always go back to my own upbringing and that it was very nomadic. You know, mm-hmm. I, I lived a lot of places. Yeah. Um, and so my, my, my family of origin was very close because we always were the only people we knew mm-hmm. uh, until, and, and it wasn't until late in high school that I realized we weren't going to move again. And I started making friends mm-hmm. and I really only have maybe two friends from high school that I would consider still friends with. I mean, Mm -hmm. people I see on Facebook a little bit, but that's not who I'm talking about. And then, you know, since I've become an adult, trying to make friendships with people and and discovering who who do I want to be in in deep relationship with has been a real joy of discovery for me because I've I've developed this stability um, in my life that I didn't have growing up. And it's become Mm -hmm. a very important part of my own parenthood and so forth. And I have friends that I sometimes surprise myself when I think, you know, I'm having, I'm having a, a, some having trouble with something or I'm having a bad day or whatever. And I surprise myself thinking, oh, I want to call so-and-so right now. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's not like a natural thing for me because I just didn't experience that (laughs) growing up. I didn't have like a best friend until Mm -hmm. late in high school, really. And it's just a beautiful it's a beautiful thing to recognize that in this moment, I, I have this desire to reach out to this person that I am, I am deeply connected to. 
And then that connection came because we both chose to weave our lives together, not romantically, not through marriage. That's something else, Mm -hmm. but just through friendship. Well, and I appreciate, I've seen the journey you've been on. We talked about this at the start of the pop of this season. You're giving your children, you know, the experience that you didn't have of, of a stable, singular place to grow up in a neighborhood with other kids and all of that, that your, your chosen family of your spouse and your children, um, you're creating a family culture that is something that you value, um, while also maintaining all of these extended friendships and all these different types of found family. I think I'm learning in all of this, in the real life version of this, not the 90s sitcoms, not the found family tropes, fantasy books I read all the time, but that it's not as simple as these are the new people. I mean, there's probably people who have like their folks, their new family. And that's, you know, there's six of them. They're all in a group text and they get lunch or brunch every weekend. And that's, that's different than my experience. I have these kind of different networks, uh, kind of snowballing together. Mm -hmm. And that includes my church community as well. And the people that I, um, that I know from around my town who I've grown closer to, and just this maintaining this network of people that is fluid. It's not set in stone. Um, my nuclear family will always be those four people, but my found family, uh, grows and adapts kind of like a feather family, depending on the Mm -hmm. needs and life circumstances and proximity and that that's okay. That's a, a beautiful thing. So you mentioned church a minute ago, and it's interesting. I'd I'd be curious to talk to people who are lay people in the church, because as a member of the clergy, the church community is, there's a familial quality to it. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, I'm, uh, I have to, you know, hold myself back from that a little bit, right? Because of of my role. Uh, And yet I do see my kids in church with, you know, a couple of dozen, a couple of dozen extra grandparents mm-hmm. who wholeheartedly take on that role of of nurturing my children from afar, being interested in their lives, being excited for their successes, and and you know crying over their failures, and it's just wonderful to know that they that there are these people that have chosen to come together to be a part of this special community, and they don't always agree, but they always come to share a meal. Mm-hmm. And they love each other in a way that we don't see in other places in society, at least not anymore. No. And that's one of my favorite things about coffee hour, frankly, is the intergenerational mingling. Um, actually, this is this is a story from a couple churches ago where I did my curacy. We were doing this project called Joining Jesus in the Neighborhood. And the whole point was going out and listening to your neighborhood. So we went out in pairs or in my case, because we had a youth, um, the youth representative in my group, we had, because of safe church, we had three of us. Um, We went out to parks, we went to the laundromat, we went to the general store and we just sat and listened and kind of got the vibe of the place. And then eventually, you know, branched out and talked, but it was me, um, this youth, so 17 year old Jack. And then this older woman, Sue, who was, I think, like a mid-Gen Xer, pretty solidly, like she would self-identify very much as Gen X. And we were walking around the park and I suddenly said, I was like, who do you think people think we are? Like, what is this grouping of a millennial, a Gen Xer and a Gen Zer? Like, 
do they think that, you know, me and Sue are like partners and this is our, I'm very young and this is our son. Like, are we siblings? Like, who are we <laughs> yeah, right. to, to other people like observing us? And it was like, we're a church group, of course, you know? So we have these three very different people spending time together in a park. Um, and that's one of the things I love about our coffee hour at Trinity is getting to see the you know, 24 year old nonprofit worker with the 80 year old retired accountant having a good conversation about the sermon that week. Mm. Um, especially if I wasn't preaching, there's a lot of conversation after those. And it's just, <laughs> it's a wonderful thing to see uh, the kids running around and the surrogate grandparents. Um, I think I've I've heard the danger of calling church a family or referring it to as a church family because that can be difficult to enter into. And also people who have had poor family relationships, it's like, I don't want another family. Um, God, you know, I've had yeah. enough of that for a <laughs> lifetime. Like, I don't want to call you mother or father so-and-so because I don't get along with mine. Um and I think that's a good shorthand in some ways. Really, what we're talking about is a body, about the body of Christ. That's very much what we believe, that we are drawn together, um, united through our baptism and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, but then also drawn together every week, renewed, made new, companions in the most literal sense of eating bread together, companions on the journey together, who are you know the hands and feet of Jesus. And that body image is is really what we believe um but you can't just say that all the time it's kind of insidery so family will work sometimes i tend to use the word community when i'm talking mm -hmm. about the church um sometimes we'll 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 crib the the concept of beloved community but we have to be careful with that too because that has some expectations mm. um around you know issues of justice Mm -hmm. uh, but, but that's really what we're talking about here. We're, we're, um, in church, what we're growing towards is this community that shows what it's like to be heaven on earth. That's our hope. Right. Yeah. And it's full of broken people that are doing their best and that's okay. Um, you know, I've always said that, you know, uh, church is for broken people. It would be for whole people too, if there were any, <laughs> right. I like that. Um, there's a great quotation from Rachel Held Evans that I'm going to look up real quick. Okay. Um, because it, it kind of fits into this. But you mentioned baptism um, a minute ago. And what we're proclaiming in baptism is uh, is the belovedness of the person being baptized, the belovedness mm. of God, and that we are going to love you within this particular group that yeah. comes together to love each other. We welcome you into the household of God. Yes. That's one of the most profound moments, I think. It's my favorite part of a baptism is when you hold the person up or they hold themselves up depending on age. And <laughs> on the their ability to be them. held up to hold. Yes. To hold. I've, I've, had, I've baptized an adult and a couple of uh, kiddos. So yeah, sure, sure. they held themselves up. But that, and I always make my people practice and I'll make them do it again when it when we ask, like, will you uphold this person in their life mm -hmm. in Christ? If they don't say yes enthusiastically, I'm making them do it again. <laughs> Uh, because it is they're being accepted into into the community. And I too definitely use the word community a lot, possibly too much. <laughs> yeah. In her book, Searching for Sunday, which is a fabulous book. If you've never read it, I highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. Rachel Teld Evans, uh, a, kind of a 
public theologian of mine and Carrie's generation who died tragically a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, She says this, this is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they're rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry because they said yes. And there's always room for more. I think that that's such a good encapsulation of the idea of found family that, that, that a found family is not, a closed system Mm. your nuclear family doesn't at at some point your nuclear family stops growing you know for you and me we both had a four-person nuclear family right Mm -hmm. Uh, two parents two kids that's the family brother sister yeah brother sister yeah so your nuclear family doesn't change at some point once the kids are all born um, but your found family is amorphous it can grow it can it can shrink it can grow it can encompass so many different people in their experiences. And that's how we uh, grow as people, right? We Mm -hmm. um, can bring in so many more ideas. And that's why it's great to continue to be open to other people in our lives, to bring them in, to to invite ourselves into their lives um, in ways that aren't weird and creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and I think of, you know, one of the Again, a formalized, a formalized found family in the church is through godparents and sponsors of baptism. Um, we have had a couple of people in our church who were baptized as adults, and they'll refer to someone of their generation as my godfather or my godson. Um, and it's really wonderful to see that the I think of the sort of stereotypical idea of a godparent is kind of like the Harry Potter serious black, the person who you'll go live with when your fam if your family, God forbid, should die. Um, that's like the, you know, the guardian. Um, but in the church, it godparent literally is like the person who will help guide your child through their developing faith. Um, whether or not they're they're going to be their legal guardians is is a different matter, even though we conflate the two. And I've loved seeing my friends who have had their children baptized, thinking very seriously that who they want to be their children's godparents. And it's not always just their best friend. Um, Spoiler alert, you can use more than two people. And in fact, parents can be their children's godparents. It's not limited. Um, And they choose people sometimes from their church, preferably from their church, people who they will be a part of those children's lives for a long time, who will take seriously the honor and the privilege of raising those children and guiding and shaping and yeah. helping them discover their faith. When somebody asks me what they should be looking for in a godparent, if they haven't already chosen, usually what I'll say is choose somebody who you want your child to look up to. Mm. That's that's kind of the shorthand for me is like, do you have a friend who you want your child to emulate that mm-hmm. that will and that will love your child and be there for them? That's mm-hmm. that's really what we're talking about here. Um, it doesn't need to be somebody who can quote, you know, the Ten Commandments or name all of Jesus's disciples off the top of their head. <laughs> oh, good, because um, I would be a bad godparent then. <laughs> so we've been talking for about half an hour now. We really haven't talked much about our fictional found families. We kind of jumped off from the feather families, and we've just been yeah vibing, which is cool. I'm happy. I'm happy with our conversation so far. But are, are there any other? Um, fictional found families we just wanted to to mention or highlight an element of before we close out this episode? Well, again, it's it's a trope. And so it's one that I'll search for. One of my favorite recent found family novels that I read was the um, Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. And that's 
sort of centered around a business that's being created. And that's very much like a cozy fantasy book where people are kind of being recruited to work in this fictional coffee shop. Um, and that's one of those found families that's just, it's just delightful. <laughs> I, I, I will plug that book for a long time. Read it. It's lovely. I will. Um, but that that's great. That's the people that they chose to spend their days with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was oh, thinking what about you. Yeah, I was thinking about a couple. One was the Scooby Gang from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, sure. Uh so you have Buffy, uh you have Willow and Xander, the original 3, and then they gain more people into that family over the course of the show. You have Oz, you have Anya, uh and of course the parent figure of Giles. Mm-hmm. Um and they go through a heck of a lot over the course of the 7 years of that series, including, you know, the main actual parent on the show dying. Mm. Uh, which is one of the most amazing hours of television you could ever watch, by the way, is the episode about, about that. Um, and what we see with Buffy is the, the growth and power of the individual characters. Um, you know, Willow becomes a witch, uh, you know, um, and, um, you know, Anya is a recovering, um, vengeance demon, <laughs> Uh, right. And, um, and then you have Xander who's, you know, just a normal guy, just a guy. Right. I was like, I don't remember yeah, what happened, you know, but, but, but what, but, you know, what I love about that found family is that Xander becomes a carpenter after high school. And basically Aww. every time Buffy's house gets, you know, destroyed or whatever Aww. gets destroyed, you just see Xander in the background, you know, just fixing it. <laughs> and rebuilding things and that's kind of his character and there's this there's a season of Buffy where he gets to be the hero because of his deep relationship with Willow because they've been best friends oh, their yeah. whole lives uh and so we see that not only is is this found family important it's also ends up being redemptive so that's one that that jumps out to me another one was we were talking about Guardians of the Galaxy earlier yeah. the um you know, that's basically a D&D party, right? The, the five Guardians of the Galaxy. The original Guardians, now we're talking about the MCU movies here, right? You have Quill, you have Gamora, you've got Rocket and Groot, you have Drax. Those are the original five. But the cool thing about the Guardians of the Galaxy is that as the movies progress, they add more people to their family. Mm-hmm. They add Mantis, they add Nebula. And we could do a whole podcast about Nebula and Gamora, by the way. Ooh, yeah, uh, let's put that's, that. Put a that's, in a, that. that's a relationship right there to explore. Um, and so they add, yeah, so they add they add Nebula and and um Mantis. And then in the third Guardians movie, we have um uh what's his name? Um he's the guy that gets the arrow from Yondu. Starts with, starts with a K or a C. I can't think of his name right now. And then Cosmo the dog. Uh, you know, so we we have all these new characters that come in, um, and they all get adopted into this family. And um, I just I love the fact that at the end of the first Guardians movie, they've been thrown together for in for various plot reasons. And at the very end, in order to beat Ronan um, from and keep him from destroying the world with the Power mm-hmm. Stone they hold hands after dance after the dance off but they they hold hands and they are able to control the power of the stone because of their power as a group together Mm. not not one individual person in it um so i think that's a beautiful image of found family yeah and that makes me think of another one of my when you said adding on it reminded me of the critiques of stranger things (laughs) that there's just too many characters well you know what Forget it. I love characters. So I'm thrilled whenever they add a new person. So it starts with the four boys 
and then you add L and then there's a sort of like parallel Nancy and Steve and Jonathan generation. And eventually they start to merge and like their plot lines overlap. And then there's Max gets added and then Erica gets added. And of course, alongside it are the surrogate parents, Hopper and Joyce. And at the end, there's this big group of people who are, you know, in on it, have this special knowledge about the upside down and all of this, Um, but they're all united and fighting together and they're all being used for their individual skills. It's one of the things I liked about Legends and Lattes and also D&D groups. Everyone has their own specialty. And in Stranger Things, you know, you've got Steve with the bat, the great babysitter, but then you've got, (laughs) you know, the, the kids, you know, like Dustin who can program and Will, who's like the heart of the group in so many ways, and Elle with her special powers and all, you know, and on and on and on. All of these people are being valued for what who they are, but also their special, their specialness is seen as special. And that's truly one of the benefits of a found family when they can see you for who you are and value you for the uniqueness that you bring. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast for nerdy Christians. Please give us a rating or review on your podcast app of choice so others can discover us too. You can find us at nerdychristians.com. You can also find all nine of Adam's fantasy novels on his website, adamthomas.net. Sign up for his bi-monthly author's newsletter to receive a free PDF of his novella, Highest Stakes, a memoir and manual about my life as a vampire hunter. And as always, you can find both of us right here on the next episode of the podcast for Nerdy Christians, where faith meets fandom. Listen for the voice of Jesus calling you to come and see, to enter a new family of the faithful, and to thrive in the midst of those who care about you. May God grant you the grace to extend God's love out to everyone you need so we can live into the truth that we are all one family. Amen. Amen.